If you'll continue to stand as we read a scripture. It's a parable of Jesus of the great banquet from Luke 14, 16 through 24. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the bank, for, the, for, for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. First to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another I have bought a five. I have bought five oak of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, "I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come." So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, "Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor." And crippled, and blind, and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what, would, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. morning. Welcome to church. I'm glad you made it today. My name's Chris. If I've not met you, I'd love to shake your hand before you leave. Um, Over the past month, we've been trying to uh, set a course for this church. Uh, We've been talking about our vision uh, for this place and really getting at the issue of what we want to be about, what we want to see accomplished, man. Uh, And we started this conversation with a whole really honest question of uh, why are we here uh, disturbed some of us, I think. But, but uh, why, why, like basically we started the conversation with why be involved, man? Why, why be committed to a church, to others, to Jesus, right? Like why? And we tried along the course of this conversation to push out our own personal agendas, our cultural agendas, right? And, and have asked, what does the Bible lay out for the mission of the church, right? And what's risen to the top is the realization that the entirety of the Bible points to one thing. At least that's what Jesus believed, as we read last week in depth, right? The whole Old Testament points forward to it. The whole New Testament points back to it. And all Christian action, stay with me, if it's to be called truly Christian, stems from this one thing. That's a big claim. So any act of obedience, any act of sacrifice, any loyalty, any faithfulness that you might exhibit, if it's Christian, stems from this one thing. That's, that's a, an assertive claim there, isn't it? Whole Bible's about it. All true motivation of Christian action comes from it, right? And, which means if you have a different motivation than this for doing the whole church Christian thing, it makes your faith in some ways unbiblical, and not truly Christian, right? There's a whole lot of ways to say it, but if you look at the Bible as a whole, there's one thing that rises to the top, and it's this. It's that Jesus is the most clear, most accurate revelation of God, and only in the suffering of Jesus will you see God for who he really is, which is the highest form of goodness that the human soul could ever hope to experience in this life or the next. 
A little wordy, little wordy sentence. Let's just sit with it for a second. That God is the highest form of, let's put another word in there, okay? Highest form of blessing. Highest form of abundance. Highest form of delight, joy, satisfaction. God is the highest form of good that you could ever hope to experience in this life or the next, okay? So let's just say it another way. The Old Testament whispers it. The New Testament screams it. And all of it is saying, in one way or another, the strength of man has failed. Thank you, Tolkien. <laughs> the Bible is soberingly realistic about the, the nature of man, right? But there is one, there is one who came, who was the only one who didn't fail, right? He didn't yield to the undercurrents of selfishness and darkness and pride that all of us have yielded to. And the claim was that he suffered once and for all to deal with all the disobedience and all the stuff, all the obstacles that stood in our way between us and God. And in him, this guy, this one, the Eden blessing, abundance is restored. Heaven, as we know it, this is the claim, y'all. This is the claim of the Bible, okay? I'm not making this up. Heaven, as we know it, came to earth in Jesus. Or as he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's how he talked about it, all right? You could, in other words, Jesus is saying, the heaven has come to you and you could reach out and touch it in me. That was the claim of Jesus, this dude, man, right? So for all the New Testament addresses, all of the issues it confronts, it's a lot, right? Is on repeat pointing to the surpassing worth of this man, of what he claimed he did and who he claimed he was, right? Rise to the top. So shake it all together, right? Consider how you're being invited into this in some form or fashion. And the sentence we've landed on is that our goal, our mission is to be a people declaring and delighting in the beauties of Jesus, right? Who he is, what he's done. Or as 1 Peter 2.9 is gonna say, you are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light, okay? So the message of the church, according to 1 Peter 2.9, is to be, something about a person. And what's the thing about, what's the something about the person that we're declaring? That they're excellent. <laughs> what's that? He, he's excellent, right? So what does excellent mean? Well, it's the highest qualities of something. It's the marvelous, wonderful nature of a thing. It's the supremacy, the superiority of a thing, the outstanding achievements of a thing, right? Our message, what we proclaim on repeat what we just, I mean, you know, you ever get around someone who just won't shut up about something? Like, some, like, a, like a TV show or something or a restaurant. Like we've talked about this at Link, right? Like VR right now. I'm just, I, just, I want to talk to you about VR all the time, right? The thing that the church is not going to shut up about is that Jesus is better. Amen. That's the, we could, you could say shorthand, shorthand. Jesus is better, Right? Just, I mean, guys, what if we were just a group of friends and just wouldn't shut up about it? He's just better, right? Like, he's better. Better than what? Better than everything. Better than religion, right? He's better than rules. He's better than moral achievement. He's better than dogmatic, disciplined teetotaling. He's better than religious success. He's better than good sermons, praise his name. Better than killer worship set. He's better than ambient, loosey-goosey spirituality. He's superior. He's better. He's more outstanding than all these things. That's a big claim, man, and I get really stoked about it. He's superior to these things, like these things, these things, what we're doing right now. I love what we're doing right now. I'm into it. I love it, right? A lot of thought into this, a lot of planning, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into what we're trying to do right now. But Jesus is better than this. 
Like way better. Like better than the sun is like the way the sun is superior to the moon. Jesus is better than what is happening right now in this room. If we, can, if we can't see that, then you're gonna get real disillusioned with the church. If you can't see that we're a tool that has a purpose, that's trying to point you to something else, you're gonna start putting the expectations of that thing on this thing. And, and it's gonna crumble. Listen, listen. You may, I mean, I know up here I look great. If you get to know me, you're gonna figure it out. You get, just get to know me. You're gonna figure it out. I ain't perfect. I will, look at me. I will let you down. Did, did my wife just say? Did, here, here's, I got something else for you. You will let yourself down. And so what do we come together to proclaim? We can't come together and say we can do it if we bind up or if we just try. We can't. We know that's not true. So when we come together, we have to tether our hearts to a strength that's greater than mine. It's greater than yours. It's not resting on my skill as an order. Look, I know grammar's challenging for me. You guys know that, right? Like, it's not resting on that. There's something more beautiful that we're getting at, y'all. Is Jesus is better than religion. He's better than the rules. He's better than all the stuff that goes into these details that make this thing work. He's better than all that. Praise his name. And if you wouldn't, I wouldn't be in this, right? In fact, Colossians says all of the... You, just the structures of religion that we think of. So the rules, and you do this, and you don't do that, and here's the cultural aspect of that, I think, and you know, we don't go, you know what I mean? All that stuff, all that stuff. It says, Colossians 2.17 says, that's a shadow compared to the substance in Jesus. And so it begs the question, what have you experienced as an individual? It begs the question, have you been experiencing the shadow of a thing and making judgments based on the shadow of a thing? and not the substance of a thing, right? Like when your youth pastor punches you in the mouth, and then you're like, well, I guess Jesus is a phony. Dude, you didn't, you met a jerk. You didn't meet Jesus. Huh? We chatting here? We chatting about the expectations we have? Right? What is our hope in? It's not in us, y'all. It's not how good we do things. It's in Jesus. He's better than religion. That's a big sentence, and it would do, you would do well to sit with it, man. That, what does that mean? Well, it means that our hearts, mine and your hearts, it is transformed by, and we pour out our lives for Jesus. And at the end of the day, we insist that it was all by grace because Jesus is better than religion. He's better than earning your way. He's better than your ability to obey the rules. The whole of your obedience, the whole of our sacrifice is out of an overflowing gratitude of what Jesus has done on our behalf. That's how it's by grace through faith. You understand that? That's how it's by grace through faith is when the motivation is about the excellencies of somebody else, the strength of somebody else. The motivation, y'all, has never been, I'm gonna do this so God will have to accept me. The motivation is because Jesus, because God in Jesus has accepted me, now I'm gonna live out of that, out of grateful gratitude and pour my life out unto death, right? He is the motivation, right? So that, that's Christianity. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta that's Christianity, it's that God has done something for, for you that you could not do for yourself, and I will live my life out of humble gratitude and, and exaltation in what he's done. Gotta read, you, got, you got the book? You got it. You got it, in your, you got, you got it. you got it on your device. You got to read it. That's the whole thing's getting at, that he's done something for us what we can do for us. Okay, we got to get to the next point, or we're going to be here all day. Um, our mission is, is, is based on this conviction that God is better 
Jesus is better than, than religion and that he is better than all other pleasures and delights known to man. So it's not just religion he's better than. He's better than all the other ways we try to satiate our hearts, satiate, satisfy our hearts, right? So, and this is not just a New Testament anomaly. We talked about this. The Old Testament's full of it. The Old Testament says crazy stuff like, your love's better than life, yeah. right? Old Testament says stuff like, man, my soul, my soul, it thirsts for you, God, like a, like a deer thirsts for water. Old Testament says this. We see in the Bible is a definitive claim. There is a definitive claim in the Bible, y'all, that the soul of man shrivels up, hmm? shrivels up on the vine without the nearness of God. That's, that's a definitive claim in the Bible. The soul of man shrivels up on, right? And he, he far surpasses every other goodness. Uh, Jesus said stuff like, hey, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Think about that. What does that mean? What is a vine to a branch? Well, it's the source of everything, right? I mean, sustenance, you know, I mean, everything. The, the vine's dead without the branch, right? Or I'm the vine, you're the branch. No, the branch is dead without the vine. Sorry, I got that wrong, right? Jesus said, I'm the vine. We got to think about that the analogy. Jesus called himself the bread of life. What does bread give you? Energy, joy, taste good. I mean, come, it didn't have to taste good. It tastes good. Nourishment, all the things, right? You, I mean, you, you, look, don't eat for three weeks unless let's chat how you're feeling, right? What does bread do to you? It, it fills you with life. fills you with energy, sustenance, vitality. Jesus is saying, I am that to you. It's not God. He, he's not just describing the sort of unit, uh, utilitarian dependency. This is not just a, well, if I want to be alive, I got to be. No, it's like, dude, there's joy here. We're talking about vitality, life, abundance, right? He's saying, I am the true, only true source that gives life and joy to the cosmos. The, it's cosmic. <laughs> That's the claim in the Bible. A cosmic claim that from God and to God are all things, all life, all joy. All, the Bible claims that God's better than any pleasure, good or bad pleasures. Guys, you know there's good pleasures? And bad pleasures? Like, there's both. They're kind of neutral, right? Jesus is better than wealth. It's a good pleasure. Better than success. Good pleasure. Better than vacations. Good pleasure. I like me a vacation. I'm about due for one. Feeling it, right? Right? Better than houses. Good pleasures. Love my house. Better than cars. Okay? All these things. Food, drink, good friends. Jesus, better. Okay, but then there's bad pleasures. Y'all, I, I want to contend with you that Jesus is better than less satisfied. I know it doesn't feel that way, but that's the claim of the Bible. Jesus is better than less satisfied. Jesus is better. Now, this is going to trip some of us up here. Jesus is better than the feeling of superiority you get when you tear others down. Jesus is better than that trash. He's better than that. Tastes better. Feels you, lifts you up more. Huh? He's better than getting whatever you want when you want it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, come on, Chris, right? Hold on now. Hold on now, right? Jesus is better. In fact, this is so interesting. What you see in scripture is when God gives people over to getting whatever they want when they want it, it is a form of judgment. Riddle me that. Romans 1.24 says, God gave them over to their sinful desires as a form of judgment. All right, you can meditate on that for a few weeks, all right? 
But the point of all this, and it begs, and the question it begs is, do I personally understand my faith as enabling me to be a part of something better, more life-giving, more abundant, more joyful than any other thing? See, what, what we read, uh, what Matt read at the beginning is that Jesus compares the kingdom of God to what? A banquet. In fact, it's a great banquet. You know, you know the common day word for that? A party, a feast, great feast, right? Jesus compares the kingdom of God coming into your life like a feast. The table's set, man. The food's ready. Call them in to what? Partake. Like pull a chair up to the table and dig in. That's the picture that Jesus gives us for what the kingdom of God is like. Like a just off the chains party where everything's ready and we can just rejoice with one another and eat and fill ourselves up and sit back and just, you know, unbutton it and just, oh, just enjoy, right? Is this how you understand Christianity? Or is it just a free get out of hell pass thing? Is it just, well, you know, I want to, I want to go to that place when I die, so I definitely want to got to do the thing. I'll go to church like once a month probably enough, get me in the gates after I die, you know? How do you understand what you are being invited into, right? Are, you, are we inviting people into the joy of God or are we inviting people into waiting for death, right? Or worse, worse, some people think inviting people into Christianity is inviting them into a heavy-handed, antiquated rules and gender roles, right? According to the Bible, look, guys, I'm, According to the Bible, becoming a Christian is more like resuscitating the dead. It's more like giving sight to the blind. It's more like making a lame man dance in joy. These are the pictures. These are the biblical pictures. I don't know what kind of cultural picture you have in your mind of what it means to be a Christian, but these are the biblical pictures of what it means to be a Christian. All right? It's more like inviting people into a party where the food is set and the table is ready. And if you noticed... All of the excuses given, none of those were sins. None of the excuses given were sins in that banquet, all right? The reasons people held up as to why they could not enter into joy was things like a plot of land. Uh, the modern equivalent is, uh, of an oxen is a work truck <laughs> and a relationship. And these were the things that people gave up as reasons why why they wouldn't pull a chair up to the table and feast. That's bizarre, isn't it? All good things, all delightful things. They're just not primary things. Maybe in these people's lives, these things became primary. And it was the reason why they wouldn't enter into the joy of the master. So think of all the ways that people outside of Christianity think of Christianity. Just think about this for a second, right? Uh, for so many people outside of the Christian faith, uh, Christianity is not the way to more life. It's really a way of less life, right? We, you know? It's not, so for so many people, uh, it's not the way of saying yes to joy. It's the way, in fact, it's the opposite, right? It's, it's really Christianity is the way of saying no to joy because Christianity is just a bunch of, it's a bunch of no's and restrictions and repressions and slap your hand, no cookie for you and quit having fun and don't laugh, right? See, most people have... Uh, this idea that, well, I had a lot of fun, I pursued joy and adventure, and then I just wore myself out and got old and tired and I settled, and then I started going to church, you know? <laughs> but what we're seeing in the Bible is the exact opposite of that. 
What we're seeing in the Bible is that you were lifeless, you were tired, you had settled in death, and when Jesus came in, joy and life and pursuit and adventure entered, right? The biblical paradigm, y'all, puts joy and life, or what, as the Bible calls it, blessing, at the center of it all. And it says that you were locked out of that, that you were locked out of that joy, that bl- because pride and sin, but that Jesus destroyed that barrier so that you can enter back into that surplus of life, right? So now, okay, let's just, hold on. Some, some of you are thinking, okay, well, that sounds great and is cute and makes for a nice sermon, I guess. People like that, you know, whatever. But you're making it sound like it's just a bed of roses, like you're making, you're making Christianity just like, oh, it's just a feast. We just hold up and it's great, right? Like, isn't there, isn't there sacrifice, Chris? You know, they're like, you know, obedience and cost. Yeah, dude, there is. Dude, yes, there is lots of cost. In fact, becoming a Christian will cost you more than you could ever imagine. It'll cost you relationships. People may ridicule you. They may sneer at you. It will cost you financially. It'll cost you emotionally. People may pursue you to harm you physically. They may pursue your, I mean, look at history, bro. Look at all the history, right? Like America, we're in this like hiccup of history where it's like, oh, it's cool to be a Christian. That ain't history. Everybody's never been cool to be a Christian. Christians always get stamped out, man. They get violence done upon them because of what they believe. Just do, read some history books, right? I mean, Roman Catholic, there's a whole lot there. Anyway, it, may, it will cost you. Following Jesus will cost you greatly. Um, in short, it will cost you everything, Right? And look around me right here, right here. Everything, all it costs you, will be nothing compared to what you get. Amen. It's going to cost you immensely to follow Jesus. And it will be nothing compared to what you get. Nothing, man. Romans 8.18 says, it won't even worth be comparing to the glory that you get in Christ. Yes, there's a cost. Like, for example, the part of you that lies and lusts, right, and envies and covets, yeah, that part of you's got to die. It's got to die, right? It's got to die. But what you don't realize is that's the part of you that's been killing you anyway, <laughs> right? Like as one pastor says, no one has sabotaged your joy as much as you sabotaged your joy. Eh? You, can't, you can't blame your wife, your job, right? No one's lied to you as much as you've lied to you. That's what Matt Chandler says, love it, right? And the great part of Jesus, what he's trying to offer you right now is I will take that part away, right? And what do you get in return? True joy, true security, true love, true forgiveness. So think about it. In the garden, Adam and Eve were blessed by God, but said, I know what blessing looks like. And it looks like this. And then what do they bring on themselves? A curse, right? Becoming a Christian, y'all, is locating your joy where in reality it has always been in the first place, which is in and from God himself. So all that sounds good, what does it mean? Well, it means the reason that we wanna tell others about what's going on and what Jesus has done is for joy. That's the motivation. It means we are, we are inviting people into joy. We tell others because of joy, right? Other religions tell you to earn your way into heaven, we tell others, enjoy, heaven's been given freely, right? Uh, other religions say, morally strive and merit your way into blessing, right? We pour out our lives in joy because blessing has been given freely in Jesus, right? The restoration of joy and blessing, sometimes the Bible just calls it life, right? Is at the center of all this thing. Now, here's the crazy thing about all this. Do you know the most effective way to declare something like this? Do you know what the best way is to witness to the world? The churchy word is evangelize, right? The best way to tell others about something like this, 
Well, let's just put it in unspiritual terms so we don't overcomplicate this. If I told you I found the world's most healthiest, delicious, superfood, non-GMO, steroid-free, free-range, gluten-free, right? Heals sicknesses, it heals cholesterol, right? Locally sourced, okay? <laughs> this is the best. This is the best, right? The best steak I've ever eaten. Mm, amazing, right? So great. It's from so-and-so farms, and man, I love it, right? So we're doing life together, and I'm just always talking about so-and-so farms and how great it is and how it's going to heal everyone and blah, 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 blah. And then, but then you're hanging out with me, you're doing life, and every day I pull out of my lunchbox, spam. And you come over to my house, and then spam, just up to the ceiling in the pantry, right? And you're like, dude, uh, I thought you were like, you know, an organic thing and, you know, like all, this, all that stuff. Oh, oh, ideally, I am. I am. It's the best, but all I eat spam. Okay, cool. <laughs> what do you really love, okay? All you want to talk about is this, but what your, your action is saying, your actions are showing spam is amazing. That's what you're saying with your life. You might be saying something with your mouth, but your life is saying something else. Your life is saying spam. It's all I want, right? I really, probably not going to live past 50, right? But love spam, right? See, if you, if you see then someone always feasting on something, after a while you say, hey, what's, is that good? Doesn't it do that? You see, you see so, you, so, you, so if someone is like the opposite, right, and they're just always feasting on so-and-so farms, and they have it, this organic, nice, you know, just off the, you know, ugh, lunch, breakfast, and dinner, they're sneaking little morsels of it in between conversations, right? You go, go over to their house, they got a pantry full of it, right? At some point you're going to say, hey, can I, can I can I try some of that? Why? Because they're making that look real good. Okay, that's, I just described to you exaltation. <laughs> really churchy word for making something look good. How do you make it look good? You feast on it. You eat it yourself. You show it to be wonderful. You exemplify its goodness by living out, enjoying it. This is why John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. We glorify God when we are being satisfied with his goodness. Or you could say it another way, we declare most effectively by delighting first and foremost. Y'all, look, it's no good proclaiming the water alive when you've got dirt all over your mouth and trying to satisfy your thirst with mud. No one's going to buy it, man. <laughs> Are you shoving dirt in your mouth saying, yeah, you should try some water, you know? No, dude, it's no good proclaiming that when you've got dirt all over your mouth, right? No one's going to buy it. It's no good preaching the bread of life when you're ravenously eating something else, all right? Because you're showing by your life you really don't believe it. You just don't. It's okay. We can be honest. You don't, right? Christianity, y'all, is fraught with individuals who became amazing, like skilled, talented, charismatic individuals who became amazing proponents for the Christian faith. They wrote books, they led churches, they led movements, and then collapse in moral failure and get busted with a prostitute in methamphetamines because they did not eat the food they preached. Hmm? Every week when we come in here and we hear our mission, I want it to be a poignant reminder and a call to your heart to first and foremost eat. To first and foremost, delight yourself. Don't be a hypocrite, man. Okay? Don't, don't be an actor. Taste, partake, 
right? You gotta be humble enough to receive his love for you first, right? We can't be on mission with God to rescue the world when we are resisting his rescuing in our own life, okay? When we say, declaring and delighting, one thing that is meant is that our hearts ourselves are actually being engaged with God's goodness first and foremost, right? Because only when that authentic engagement is happening will you ever have the impulse to tell anyone else. Do you see the logic? It really, delighting comes first, but like grammatically it doesn't work in the sentence. But delighting really comes first uh, logically, right? So the question is, if all this is true, if all this is true, let's just assume that you're on board, okay? (laughs) If all this is true, the question is, and I've said this before and I'm just going to keep reminding you, am I the kind of person who routinely declares the excellencies of things or people, or am I not? Right? Is it easier for me to condemn and judge or to encourage, support, and call out the good? Because the direction that I am pushing us and you and my own heart more and more and more are to be people who freely give themselves to calling out the goodness of God and inviting others into that goodness. That's that's where we're going. You You can come. That's where we're going. That's where my heart's going, and that's where I'm inviting you to go. To first and foremost, eat of the bread of life to delight yourself in what Isaiah calls the richest affair, to pull up a chair to the feast of the kingdom of God and not just to gorge yourself, but to go away out to what the scripture says, the highways and and hedges and call anyone, anyone. That was the the language that Jesus used. Go go out to the highways and hedges, the highways and hedges, right? These are are the peripheries, the outskirts where the crazies hang out. And compel them to come in, right? I mean, the cool guys hang out in the cities, right? Like back, you know, like the city people, they're the important folk. He says, go to the losers. Go to the people that can't hang out in the cities because they'll, they'll be run out. Go to those people, the unqualified, the undeserving. Go, go, go to the ones, I mean, we're just going to do it, you politically disagree with. Go, go to the ones that you have put outside the pale. Who have you put outside the pale? Who have you put outside? Who have you designated as less valuable than you because this, that, or this? Okay, Jesus says, well, go, go tell them that there is blessing in me. Go tell them to pull up a chair and feast. Right? This is the whole idea of Jesus coming for the sick, you know? Right? What, what, so, I mean, Chris, are you saying you want like a bunch of fruity liberals up in here ruining everything? Well, they need to eat too, don't they? Huh? Or if you're on the other side of the thing, you're telling me a bunch of right-wing racist conservatives up in here, is that we? Guess what? They need to eat bread too. Because there is no other bread. There is no other life. And if we claim that we are eating of the bread of life, we can't, we can't, gorge on it ourselves and then decide who gets it and who doesn't. Jesus says, go to everyone, anyone, right? Chris, you're going to ruin small group. (laughs) Yeah. All right. But someone's got to tell them too, don't they? Hmm. Will it be you? Will you be the person? Maybe. Will you be the person who says, Hey man, because of the excellently excellencies of Jesus, joy and peace comes to those who don't deserve it. Are you going to be the person who say, hey man, Jesus can speak to the chaos in you and he will speak, guess what? Peace to it. Not wrath, not judgment. What is the declaration of the cross? Forgive them. That's what we're calling people in. Mercy, grace, that's right. Remember, the spirit of Christ is the impulse to leave the 99 for the one, 
right? And that's what we're, that's what we're being called into, right? People, first and foremost, that eat ourselves, and then people who aren't cowardice enough or too arrogant to invite others into it, right? That's it. That was the picture of the kingdom that we got today, y'all, that it's a feast. It's a banquet. And if you don't want in, if you hold up silly excuses as to why you will not enter into the joy of the master, God says someone's got to eat this feast. So go out to the losers. Go out to the spiritually unqualified. Go out to those who society has dismissed and call them in. And, and that's, that's it. That's what happens. Psalms 96.3 says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. Isaiah 12.4 says, Make known what? His deeds among the people. Proclaim that his name is exalted. The reason that we have landed on this mission statement is because we, we want the impulse that I am calling you to over and over and over again to be this, that we declare not ourselves. We don't declare us. We, we declare something else. And, and if we will surrender to the goodness, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Surrender to the goodness of God himself, we will be swept up in that. And all of our other agendas and all of our other um, pursuits, we will soon learn to be lesser than as we yield to the one pursuit of God, which is to restore all things. That the glory of the Lord fills the earth like the water fills the sea. He's inviting us into that mission, y'all. He's inviting us into that current. Let's stand and pray.